Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of the saints. I thank you for the call that we have to be saints. Help us, Lord, to discern more fully what it means to be a saint in our time. And Lord, let us look to the saints for our encouragement, for our inspiration um, to help us not settle for less, but to, but to live in a way that is fully honoring of you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you sense you are called to. Today in Sound Insight, I'm going to share a couple of stories from a trip I took back to Boston. That's where I grew up. My dad still lives there. I have a daughter that lives there. And um, all of my brothers and sisters and their kids all live there. So I'm the only one that departed from the greater Boston area. In fact, I'm one of the very, very, very few. Actually, I'm not even sure that there are. I have like, I've got like 50. There's 50 of us in my generation in terms of cousins. My generation, um, all of my you know, uncles and aunts, all of their kids, all my first cousins. I think there are like 52 of us. I think 50 of us live in the Boston area, like within 40 miles from home. <laughs> I think there's two of us that live apart from that area, one in California and, and then me. And that's it. it. There's a density to the idea of staying in place. Anyways, I, got, I had a chance to go back and visit my dad and I got a couple of neat stories, powerful, frankly, a couple of powerful stories. The theme is called to be a saint. The theme of today's program is, well, the universal call to holiness. That's one way of talking about it. Um, in Lumen Gentium. That's the dogmatic constitution of the church. It was one of the very first documents, not the first one, one of the first documents that was approved at the Second Vatican Council. It's very powerful. And there's a fifth chapter that is on the universal call to holiness, that each of us, you, you and I, we, and every single baptized believer, every Catholic, Christian follower of Jesus Christ, we are all called to what the church identifies, the phrase is, the perfection of charity. The charity is to conquer in us all that is imperfect. God's love, charity is God's love. Charity isn't just like a free will donation, <clears throat> giving, something giving freely, right? No, it's actually divine love. It's God's love come to dwell in us. And God's love come to conquer in us all that resists him. God's love, not just conquering, but also elevating us beyond our status as creatures of God into that elevated reality, that new creation status as children of God. And so what that means is, is that you and I are called to be saints, well, what does the perfection of charity mean? The perfection of charity means that we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. It means all that we are, all that we have, is an expression of our love for God. And that seems really a little bit abstract. Like, how, does, how do I love God? 
at every moment of my existence, with every breath I take, every thought that I have, um, at every instant, am I loving God? Well, we're not like probably thinking, okay, as I'm here talking to my wife, I'm loving God, right? So we we probably, we don't live with that kind of awareness of God's presence, the most of us. And so loving the Lord our God with all our hearts and souls, minds, and strength, the way that Aquinas talks about it, teaches about it, in the or explains it in the Summa Theologica, is that the perfection of charity means that we do not willfully jump into serious sin. We will fall into sin out of weakness, but we do not jump into sin out of willfulness. And that's especially the case for serious sin or mortal sin. So there's a, there's a way in which um, Aquinas is very realistic and identifies the fact that with a fallen human nature, right, as a result of the fall, of the original sin, and of our personal sins, there is at work in us a sinful nature that Christ has redeemed. And again, through baptism, we are immersed into Christ and we're elevated to have a new nature, a divine nature at work in us that is leaven, that is salt, light, and leaven for our human nature that is going to elevate, purify, and transform our broken human nature so that our human nature can become a place of manifestation of Jesus Christ, the one who is divine, the Son of God. Woe! Through you, Jesus Christ shines forth. You become transformed into Christ. You become a member of his body. You are a son or daughter in the Son. This is all theological ways of talking, but it identifies our deepest identity. Our deepest identity is found in our union with God that happens through baptism. Even deeper than our identity is connected to our status as creatures of God by the fact that we were created. The fact that we were redeemed elevates us into a whole new way of being, a whole new status that we're children of God. We call out Abba, Father, because the spirit of the living God lives in us. Okay, I'm still, I can still be talking way too theologically here. I'm going to land the plane. I'm going to land the theological plane here and say, um, what does that mean concretely for us today? Well, I, I actually intend to, or I'm going to talk about two of the attributes of saints that it seems to me are most needed today if this generation is going to be a generation of saints. I've been thinking about this, so, and I want you to think about this. If you could give to the modern Catholic or the contemporary Catholic American, or American Catholic, yeah, it's Catholics who happen to be American. If we find our identity in our faith, what would be two attributes typically found in saints that are particularly needed today if we're going to fulfill our call? So I'm going to discuss the two. I'll tell you what the two are. You can be thinking about it for yourself, but the two that I've identified are zeal and courage. 
Not one or the other, but both. Both zeal and courage are needed today if we are going to become saints. It, it's, that's what strikes me. Okay, so I'm, that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to that sense of saying why that is the case, and then how zeal and courage might become manifest in your life and in mine. Because they'll take different forms for different situations in life, or what they call different states in life, different seasons of life. It's going to be different for a married man than it is for a single woman that's a widow um, in, a, in an advanced age. Right, so there's, there, there's just going to be different ways that zeal and courage are manifest, but are desperately needed today. I'm going to give some examples of that. But to start, I'm coming back around to something that I sensed. So um, <clears throat> I sensed about this moment um, from uh, last week. So last week at the prayer meeting, um, on Monday, I talked about intercession in a particular form of intercession that really sh- uh, really shined forth from the message of Fatima, which was praying for those near to death but far from God. And I talked about the way that that was something that was very meaningful to me. It was a particular devotion that I had, and it showed up uh, by praying live um, the Rosary Live on Facebook, which is another theme I'm going to mention for the month of November. And little did I know that three days later, I would be praying in the physical presence of someone who was near to death, but far from God. It wasn't something that I had planned. It wasn't the reason for my trip back. It wasn't like I didn't schedule it because there was a family member that was um, near to death. Uh, that wasn't it. Um, but my sister um, knew someone, a dear friend of hers, that was near to death and was someone who had not practiced any faith. And so I was invited to go and to, uh, to the ho- place of hospice and to be with her and to pray with her. And it was, I got to tell you, it, there's a difference, such a difference between the very sanitized, like it's a very clean devotional idea of praying for those that are near to death but far from God and being in the physical presence of someone who is um, a, just a day or two away, maybe hours away from actually dying and someone who has um, walked a path that has not involved the, the practice of a faith in the course of her life. And here she is at the end of her life. So the in the moment, being present there and being respectful there and being reverent about how God was asking me to be present there and yet also being open to pray for her in that moment, it was, it was pretty striking. It was, it was, it was different than I anticipated. Um, I had prayed with people in that circumstance before, but it felt so different because I think this was the first time that 
I was praying for someone who did not um, have an explicit faith in in God at all. And so um, I was like, wow. And, and here's the funny thing, the funny, the ironic thing was I was at home, was having dinner with my family, my dad and um, my couple of my brothers, my one of my sisters and my daughter, and got a call that, and said, can you come over and pray? Can you come over and be with us and pray with her? And I was a little bit grumbly. I was a little bit grumbly, like, hey, I'm only in town for a few days. I'm here to be with my family. I'm here to see my daughter and all of this. And, and there was just sort of the light bulb goes on, like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just said three days before, oh, I've got this fervor and devotion to pray for people who are near to death and far from God. And even in this moment when we're giving the talk, there's someone who's near to death and far from God. And now here I am receiving a phone call saying, come and be with someone who's near to death and not manifestly, uh, explicitly close to God. And you're going to worry about your pizza? You're going to worry about missing the last 15 minutes of a shared meal with your family? And I just thought, wow, oof. that was uh, pretty revealing. It was pretty exposing. So I did go, I did pray, and, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't the angelic light. The angelic choirs sang, and the glory of God broke forth into the room. Nothing like that in any visible way did I sense at all. But I did, I was there in her presence. I was praying, I did pray for her to the extent and in a way that seemed respectful and as I sensed and if there was any agitation to, to pull back and to be present. And so that's how I, how I did that. But I came away from that moment with a, um, with a much stronger sense of saying, okay, I need to pray for this woman who is in fact near to death and is in an unknown spiritual condition, could very well be far from God. So to be able to surround her with my prayerful support, my prayerful concern, was the least that I could do. And to join in with the prayers and the loving concern of my sister and so many others that were praying for her and were blessing her in, in the way that they knew how. All right, coming up against the break. When I come back in a minute, I'm going to continue this theme, Becoming a Saint. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It is great to be with you today. 
I had the blessing of being in Boston last week. I was there for most of the week to be with my dad, who's um, he's, he's up there. He's uh, close to 90. And um, he gave me the impetus to come out. I had intended to come out to visit my daughter and him, as well as to see my, the, my other family, my brothers, my sisters, and others that I could spend time with. But my dad had this passion to have an evening uh, of meditation, Catholic meditation, at our home parish, the parish where I grew up. And it was really important to him. And he had this, he had this zeal. <laughs> he had this determination. Uh, I even say he had a bit of courage. He was pressing in on me, on the pastor, and saying, too few Catholics have been exposed to or are accessing a Catholic understanding of meditation. And he, he was all in on getting this to happen. So I said, all right, Dad, I surrender. <laughs> Honor your mother and father. I'm honoring you. I'm going to do this. I knew the pastor. We were in the seminary together. I said, I'm going to I'll design the event based on what you say are the outcomes that you want. And um, let's go. And so the date, the actual date for the event was the hook in the calendar that was the date that I built around um, the trip. So the trip was built around this evening called I Will Give You Rest. Isn't that cool? What a great name for an evening of Catholic meditation. Now, what do you mean Catholic meditation, Tom? Because that can mean so many things. It's like a diamond. It has so many facets. And that was one of the analogies I used. Because you can engage in the act of meditation as a Catholic at so many levels. And so uh, we actually did it in a progressive fashion. My dad wanted this not to be heavy on teaching, but to have teaching lead into experience. Brief teaching moment lead into experience. He wanted the folks that were there to have the experience of meditation because it's through the experience of meditation that you are communicating with the Lord and becoming open to receive communication from the Lord Jesus himself. And, and so that was how we framed it. I will give you rest. That's Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 saying, look, you carry these heavy burdens. I will give you rest. You know, for your weary souls, like give your burdens to me, right? Take my yoke upon your shoulders and, and I will give you rest. And how many people today are carrying heavy burdens, right? How many people are carrying heavy burdens today? And so I was like, okay, Dad, let's do this. So it was really cool. So we started out with, at, at the most human level, right? Because grace builds on nature. The most human level, the act of meditating can involve an act of bringing your body to be in a restful posture and in a restful state. So if you read, uh, when you read the great saints of the spiritual life, you'll see this woven into the teaching as their teaching goes higher and higher that 
the body posture and the breathing of the body, how you, how you breathe, is incorporated into the prayer. So breathing is going to get elevated, but it's also something then that can be a point of conscious reflection, conscious attention, and it can be pursued with an intentionality. So my brother got up and taught a very simple breathing technique. This is yoga. This is a breathing technique. It's human. It's a, it's a human use of your body in a way that physiologically can help you come to be at rest. And so it was just a matter of you breathe in, you hold your breath, you breathe out, you, um, you maintain your body without breath, and you breathe in and you do it on a certain count. And you breathe in through the mouth, no, and through the nose, out through the mouth, right? So, um, and it was a way of helping the body come to be more relaxed. So that was just the foundation. And then from there, we talked about the next level. So if you get your body into a posture, into a breathing, that, that can bring a level of relief to some of the stress and some of the anxiousness that's there. And then you move to a higher level where you start to move inward from the body into the soul. So the inner life. And that's where we get into scriptural meditation, where we reflect on the scriptures using our intellect, our memory, and our imagination. Now I give a whole teaching on this couple weeks ago. I think you could hear it last week or the week before. Um, if you go to the podcast, Dr. Tom uh, podcast, is a Catholic understanding of scriptural meditation. So I gave a whole hour teaching there. I condensed it down into like seven minutes here <laughs> and basically taught uh, folks how to read the scriptures as a place of encounter with the Lord by enacting the act of meditating on scripture. So we did a meditation. So we did a breathing exercise, then we talked about scriptural meditation, and we did an actual scriptural meditation. Then we moved up into the next level, which was silent contemplation. And so that was a higher form of meditation, and that has to do with the idea of learning to be still, in the presence of the Lord. And so that's where heart speaks to heart. That's the, the movement of the, the union of one spirit um, with, the, with the spirit of Christ, with Jesus Christ, in adoration. So we talked about silent adoration. And then what did we do? We experienced uh, uh, like seven minutes of silent adoration because we were there in the chapel. And so gave them, again, a brief understanding of adoration. Again, I gave a whole teaching on this an hour long uh, uh, a week ago, but this was something that, oh, two weeks ago, but I had to condense it down again until about just five or five or ten minutes, and then just to tee them up with the experience. Oh, no, sorry, I missed one. After, let's go way back, sorry. <laughs> the other use of our body besides breathing is singing, and so... I introduced them to chant, and we did a Teze chant, Ubi Caritas, which is a, probably the most familiar one. And so, again, gave them a brief introduction in, in the way that chant can be a way of using your lips to elevate your spirit to be in communion with the Lord. So uh, chant as a form of meditation in the broadest sense. So from breathing to chant, to scriptural reading, to adoration, 
And then it went to mental prayer or shared reflection on a text. So I used a meditation on mission by um, St. John Henry Newman. Very beautiful. It's a kind of a well-known one. And had them read it together in a, in a quiet setting, in a smaller group, broke them up into small groups. They read it and they shared what struck them as, a, as an experience of shared reflection as a means of meditation or enlightenment that comes from meditation. So you share what the fruits of what you've meditated or reflected upon. All of that in an hour and a half. Whoa. It was really something. We went through. So mission accomplished. I felt so good. And, and, and okay, so here I share all of that for a couple of reasons. The first is this. You're not going to become a saint if you don't pray. You're not. You're not going to become a saint without fostering and deepening the union you have with Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. You will not become a saint without the anointing of the this Holy Spirit. You won't grow in holiness. You won't manifest more fully and profoundly the holiness of God in you unless the Holy Spirit is uh, removing all of those things that block His holiness from shining forth in your life. And so that happens through prayer. So um, what was so exciting to me was that of the 50 people that were there, there were several of my friends from high school there. And I love that I have a chance to share from my heart the passionate plea from the heart of Christ who longs to come close to them who longs to come close to them and, um, and love them and manifest in them a more intimate, profound union with himself. And so I, I just think that that's a, a, beautiful, a beautiful thing that, um, that that was able to happen. And then also I had some cousins there, cousins and one of my aunts and one of my uncles um, as well as my couple, a uh, couple of my siblings and my daughter. And so to be able to share in front of my cousins, again, my faith in Christ and invite them to be open to let Christ touch their lives. It was like I had permission to have a kind of speech, a kind of talking and conversation with them that just doesn't normally come up. It just doesn't naturally happen. It's something that is foreign and probably uncomfortable for a lot of them. So to be able to have this opportunity that was set up, I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to miss that moment, that that, that opportunity to share very uh, directly with them that Jesus Christ, the living God, longs to come close to them. So today on the program, this is Tom Curran, talking about the call that we have to become saints. It's All Saints Day. Yes, it's a holy day of obligation. Go to Mass. Make sure you find a time when your church celebrates Mass. Make it to Mass. It's a gift. But consider maybe the month of November to be a month of destiny. Oh, there's a good word. <laughs> Carrie and I would joke. He would say, yeah, in our fundraising letters, if you're going to use a word that you want to get people to... Oh, no, it was in uh, conference titles. Yeah, use the word destiny. <laughs> People love that. Uh, how about that the month of November, this 
the last month of the liturgical year, right before we enter the new liturgical year, it's a month where you will hear a lot of reflection on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Uh, in fact, it was the Feast of Christ the King. If you go to the traditional Latin Mass on Sunday, that was the, the traditional, that was the Sunday, the Feast of Christ the King was this past Sunday. How about you think about, will you do this? Think about saying, Jesus be king over my life in a fresh new way. I say yes to you. I dedicate myself to you and to your kingship in my life, that you are Lord and you are Savior. You've rescued me from so much, and you want to continue to unbind and set me free and transform me more and more fully from the sin that clings to me. You want to manifest more fully the holiness that is that is already in me because of baptism. But you're my Lord, and you have planted me strategically into this moment in history not only to become holy, but to be a saint that fulfills a God-given mission, that fulfilling the God-given mission is integral to becoming the saint that is destined for me and for you. So ask the Lord, Lord, what is holding us back? Something Carrie and I have been talking about. Lord, what is holding back the growth and holiness and the more fruitful realization of the mission that you have for our lives. What is it, Lord? We are tired of living half measures, settling for less. We feel like there's more. It's not just about more to do. It's more to become. It's, it's a letting the Lord become bigger in us, to become more profoundly, intensively, deeply, alive in us, a denser union, a weightier union with the Lord in us, that weightier holiness made manifest can have bigger impact. That's what I want. So Carrie and I were talking about this and saying, let's bring this to the kids. Let's, let's do this. Let's talk about this. So we did at our family meeting on Sunday. A quick reminder, if you're not familiar, so when you have a lot of kids, having family meetings is super important. And when you don't have a lot of kids, family meetings can be still supremely helpful. What we do at our family meetings, we start with a prayer. We will often have some kind of icebreaker, something that's cute or fun. And then we will uh, be very pragmatic and go over things like, what's the schedule of the week? And this is brilliant. One of the things that Carrie learned in her classroom management, classroom management, she has a specialization. Uh, she has a master's degree in educational leadership and a specialization in working in resource rooms. And, um, and it was one of the things that really helped kids get in line is giving them advanced warning. Okay, so on Wednesday, this is what we're doing. Get it in your head now. Plan for it now. Don't be caught off guard when we talk about it then. It will rem remind you about it on Monday and Tuesday so it's already in you rather than a big ta-da surprise. Wednesday afternoon, we're all headed out to Mass this evening as a family. What? What's going on? We didn't know. Too much homework. This, that, the other thing. All of that stuff gets thrown out the window when you have a family meeting.
Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It is great to be with you today. So on the program, talking about the call that you have, and I have, to be a saint. Léon Blois, his famous quote, there is only one sadness, not to be a saint, not being a saint. Uh, and I, let's take that, let's make that meaningful, right? It's easy to take sort of the, the memes that are out there. You are not made for comfort. You are made for greatness. Become who you are meant to be and you'll set the world on fire. Um, you know, those are great quotes, right? From Pope Benedict and from St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, I'm going to flip around St. Catherine's of Siena, you know, which was what? Become who you're meant to be and you'll set the world on fire. How about get set on fire and the world will become what it was meant to be? I like that one better. <laughs> I'm not trying to improve upon a doctor of the church and a saint, but this is an age that needs to get fired up. It needs to be set on fire with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to fire us up with zeal and courage. I'm going to get there. I talked about I'm going to get there. The two most needed virtues that will form saints and forge saints today that are lacking. And because they're lacking, we don't have many godly men that are zealous and courageous, both zealous and courageous, not many. Super sad. And with church suffers as a result. Okay. Let me come back around to the family meetings, though. So in the family meeting, we lay out the schedule of the week, and then we talk about, we have we also practical things like chores and other areas that um, the kids are responsible for around the house. We will affirm and celebrate um, any kind of um, achievements or uh, affirm things that we've seen in the kids, and then we'll have a, like a, a, a focused theme. So the theme of this one was Let's do more in November to honor the Lord. Let's go deeper together to honor the Lord. And what are we going to do to do that? And so one of the things that we're doing, and I'm gonna, if you're in the Spokane area, come and join us. It is inspiring. It is inspiring. Come on out to Bishop White Seminary. And I, I, asked, I asked for permission to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so if they get a full chapel, praise be to God. Uh, on, on Sunday night, 645, they have sung Vespers. So Vespers is evening prayer in the Liturgy of the Hours, and it's sung by the seminarians. It's beautiful. It's holy. It's in the small chapel there at Bishop White, right across the street from Gonzaga University. And it's open to the public, 6.45, sung Vespers. It goes until about 7, and then they move right into an hour of adoration. And stay for the hour of adoration, and at the end of that, they have Compline, or night prayer, from the Liturgy of the Hours. Then they do the benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, the reposition of the Blessed Sacrament, and then they process out and sing a Salve Regina. And uh, on Sunday, on Sunday, two days ago, uh, we were the only ones there with the seminarians, uh, my family. So it was Carrie and me and our five kids that are still at home were there. And it was just holy. Carrie's like, it was just holy. Just holy. Just the, the singing, the being in the presence of the Lord, the prayerfulness, uh, the, the liturgy of the hours, and an hour of adoration. 
all five of my kiddos, a 10-year-old up to a 17-year-old, the five of them. Let it wash over them, sink into them. Come on out. Come on out. 645. 645 at Bishop White Seminary in downtown Spokane. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And you know, it's also an encouragement to seminarians to see um, the laity praying. It makes them feel like they're not just alone in pursuing a, um, a, a vigorous path of, um, of vocation and of serving the Lord and pursuing Jesus. So just encourage you to come on out to that. So we let the kids know Sunday night, the Sunday we're keeping the Lord's Day holy at a new level and a new degree. So of course, besides going to Mass, we're going to do that in the evening as well. In addition, uh, I've committed to um, pray the rosary on Facebook every day in the month of November. So tune in. Uh, So today, All Saints Day, I'm praying the rosary live. And um, and then every day, uh, weekdays, the normal time I will do it is at 6 in the morning. So if you're up early... Come to, uh, go to Facebook, go to I Love My Catholic Faith. We'll probably figure out by the end of the time how to also have it stream live on YouTube. But for the moment, uh, it's going to be live on Facebook, I Love My Catholic Faith with Dr. Tom Curran. And you can stream live and pray the rosary with me, beginning at 6 in the morning. And if you miss it, you can always um, pray with me after. Afterwards, the, the rosary is available. And that's my commitment to up my game spiritually, to up my game spiritually, um, to um, pray the rosary live um, online. on the fa- uh, And then I'm also doing a Bible study, uh, uh, sorry, a book club study on holiness. The book is on holiness um, with um, a dozen other dads. So... It's at 6.30 in the morning on Tuesday. So on Tuesdays, that's why I'm not praying at 6 in the morning on Tuesday. But um, that's something that I'm also doing. So I'm upping my game because Jesus, you're the king. Jesus, you're the king of my life. What does it profit a man to win the whole world and lose his soul? My brothers and sisters, What does it profit us to live comfortable, enjoyable lives, to be able to uh, practice our faith in soft, easy ways and not sense the urgent call to holiness, to press in, to go deeper, to press farther, for the sake of God's people, for the sake of fulfilling our God-given mission. That's the thing that is on my mind and heart these days. You heard me talk about it last week when I said, you know, on 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 a beautiful street with beautiful homes, you can have several situations all at once. At one house, you can have a cookout and everyone's enjoying themselves. Friends and family gathered. 
and that fire is contained beautifully in that in that uh, in that barbecue, and it's that heat is being used to cook up some wonderful food, and there's fellowship and enjoyment, and life is good. Life is good. Hey, let's just enjoy the life we've been given, and thanks be to God. You go a little bit further down the street, and there's some folks who have a burn pile in the yard, and they're burning, and they realize there's a burn ban on. And all of a sudden, they're, wait a minute, there's a burn ban on. This is risky. This is dangerous. Wait a minute, this, this could get out of control. This is scary. Wait a minute, what is going on here? Let's make sure that we can contain this and that everything is going to be okay. So there's a, a bit more of being on the alert, being very attentive, watching things and managing things, but it's still contained. Go a little further down the street, same beautiful street, same beautiful day, and the house is on fire. That house is on fire. You kick down the front door. You pound on it. You ring the bell. No one's coming. You pound, You break down that front door. You get in there. You yell. You scream. You grab at the person who's not paying attention or they're sleeping. You wake them up and you say, I'm going to drag you out of this house because your very life is at risk. Your kids are up in their room. Let's get up there. We've got to rescue these kids because their very lives are at stake Let's go. The house is on fire. And everything is at risk. Now, here's the question. Are you living a life right now, in this moment of history, in the life of the church, where there's a barbecue, and that fire is providing a beautiful setting to enjoy life? Or are you living a life that involves a burn ban and you've got a fire in the backyard and you're, you're being very high alert to make sure it's protected and stays under control? Or is the house on fire in your life? And there's no time for pleasantries. There's no time for uh, ease and, and casual conversation. No, it is urgent. Take action now. Your life is at stake. The answer is yes. It's all of the above. I'm going to build off of that in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So today in the program, I raised a question at the very beginning. If we're going to become saints, because we're all called to be saints on this All Saints Day, and it, it's going to require sanctity to fulfill our God-given mission, and it's in the pursuit of our God-given mission that we're going to become saints. It's both things. It's both things. The union with Christ manifests itself in the mission that Christ puts into our lives as we fulfill that mission. It deepens our union with Christ. Communion and mission, identity and purpose, uh, going deeper into who we are will manifest itself in how we live, right? That, that's the dynamic. And so... If we take a look at the lives of saints, two of the most outstanding qualities present in the saints that are lacking today, not just generic, what do you find in the lives of saints, but what do you find in saints throughout our history that we're lacking the most today? I, be I believe it's two. It's zeal and it's courage. It's zeal and courage, but both together. 
To be honest, I see a lot of folks who are zealous, especially online. People who talk a good talk. They will talk with an intensity and they will talk with the vigor and they will talk with, uh, with, you know, with their, uh, fists pounding on the table, right? Like this must stop, right? So there's a sense of, there is a sense of zeal in, 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 in some, and that's still few. It's still few. Like they're very uncomfortable for a lot of Catholics, but there is a little bit of zeal. Uh, but there's very few instances where I see a zeal, the zealous passion for Christ, combined with the courage to take action. I just said before the break that, yeah, there's a part of your life right now that's still living the cookout life. There's part of your life that's living the burn ban life. But do you realize or do you sense or do you experience in your, the core of your being that the house is on fire? Let me give you an example of someone who is living like the house is on fire, but doesn't have to. He's not forced to in a way that is like required, right? Someone who's required to, to you know, to live like the house is on fire is like literally someone whose house is on fire. They've got to go bursting in and go do something or their kid falls in the pool and they've got to dive in and they've got to take that action right at that minute to do something, right? This is a priest, Father Fidelis. He has this red rose ministry where he will walk into abortion clinics and present a rose to the women that are there in the waiting room and bring them a very simple message that says you've been blessed with the gift of being a mother. There's a child in your womb. And this Father Fidelis has been arrested a number of times and gone to prison. Why? Because the house is on fire. There's a life at stake. The, the, the baby isn't in the room. It's the baby in the womb. He, the house that's on fire is the abortion clinic. He goes into an abortion clinic because it's like a house on fire. In that, house, in that building, in, abort, in abortion clinics, there are women who are there and there's a baby in their wombs. They are mothers. They're carrying a baby in their womb. And these women are going to have their baby be slaughtered. Their baby is going to be killed within their womb. And this priest is willing to face the consequences to face the punishments of going into that place. He has to. There's a must. How can I not? There's a baby at stake. There's a human life at stake. If I can save one little baby by my going in there and they end up putting me in prison, if I can get one mom to stop, to rethink, to get up and walk out and I've saved a baby's life, what is that worth? Is that worth jail time? That's Father Fidelis. Do you know what that is? That's zeal and courage. That's zeal. He has this zealous, passionate conviction that Jesus Christ is his life and that Jesus Christ, who has called him to the priesthood, called him to live a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience, sees his opportunity to say, I'm going to stand for life. I'm going to go stand with those whose life is at risk right in the lion's den. 
That's, that's courage. Do you see the courage that takes? And he has spent time in prison more than once because he did that. Because he was willing to go into those clinics to try to save a baby's life. Zeal for the cause of life because of Christ. That's his mission. And then the courage to say, I'm not going to be stopped. I'm not going to be stopped even if it means I'm going to go against the law of the land. There's a, another woman. There's a, there's a woman who owns a bake shop, a bakery. She bakes cakes and cookies and pastries and wedding cakes. And um, she just recently had her case. Um, uh, she won her case in uh, Southern California where there was a, uh, a, a trans couple that came in and ordered a wedding cake. They sat down to meet with her in person, face-to-face. Having presented themselves um, in their application, the way I understand it, as a husband and a wife, and when he sat down to meet them and interview them, when she sat down to meet and interview them, she realized, wait a minute, this is a couple that's not a man and a woman coming forward to be married. I can't support this. And so she paused for a minute, came back to them and said, I'm not going to be able to make your wedding cake. However, I have another company right nearby, another bake shop, and they're more than happy to bake, your, to bake you a wedding cake. I am unable to do that because of my sincerely held religious belief. And I'm going to encourage you to consider th- this bakery to handle your wedding cake need. They didn't like that enough that they took her to court. Oh, that was five years ago. Five years she has battled. Five years she's battled because of that action. Do you know what that is? That takes zeal and that takes courage. That takes a zeal in her following of Jesus Christ, her conviction about who Jesus is, what Jesus established for marriage, and therefore what she had to live in her business, meant taking a courageous stand, looking these people in the eyes and saying, I can't proceed. I'm going to withdraw. But here's your other option. Five years facing the uh, the uh, being ostracized in the media, being called a bigot and way worse in social media, being attacked, vilified, all because of her conviction that came from her faith in Christ. How easy it would have been to just say, you know what, let me just do this one cake and just move on. Just let it go and move on. Do I really want to face this? Zeal and courage. What we lack today is zeal and courage. We, we, again, there might be some who behind closed doors or in safe settings are willing to throw their hands in the air and say, this must not be. But when it comes time to take a stand publicly, visibly, in our community, we wimp out. 
we just fall short. And what is at stake? What is at stake? Look how long it took for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. 49 years for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. And abortion is still happening here in the state of Washington. And now we have this gender ideology movement that has invaded the public schools and the sexuality education classes that are just ripping apart the innocence, destroying the innocence, and, and, and deforming and, and damaging the hearts and minds of precious little ones. And we stand by si silently, idly. What are we doing? Where's the courage, men? When are we going to take seriously our call to be holy? Cookouts, if you can live a cookout life, good luck. God bless you. When you get to heaven, the end of your life, you're going to feel sad that you missed out on the battle, on the, on the fact that you didn't leave the cookout and run down the street because there were houses on fire. Houses on fire. And you just enjoyed the cookout. There are ways for us to fight the battle. All of us. Some can fight it spiritually in hidden ways through prayer, penance, fasting, committing ourselves to be a spiritual engine like Moses up on the top of the hill. But there needs to be Joshua's who take up the banner and fight the battle. God bless us on All Saints Day. Jesus, raise up saints who are zealous and courageous. Please, O Christ the King, conquer in us all that holds us back from being zealous and courageous. Amen. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for All Souls Day.